I really believe in the American dream of, uh, I mean, I, I am the, Amer I mean, I lived it, I'm living it, you know, where you can accomplish so much because there's so much opportunity, but, but there's a responsibility that comes with the American dream too. And that's to make sure you, you, um, you turn around and you pull some people along in your way. How do you think of millionaires? Selfish and greedy or generous and thoughtful? I'm guessing there have always been both kinds, but overall, if I'm honest, I've tended to think about people with a lot of money in not always the most charitable terms, pun intended. But Kelly, what if I told you about somebody who has generated $100 million in annual business revenues and not only gives generously, but wants others to be able to do as he's done and to do it ethically? I would think that was pretty cool. Yeah. And you actually know about this person uh, because we were privileged to talk with a man who made his fortune and realized that money and achievement alone didn't bring him satisfaction. So come with us to find out what does, what does bring him satisfaction. Hello, hotties. Welcome to the weekly podcast for people craving a sense of connectedness, a dose of empathy, a glimpse of the way forward and an opportunity to engage. Our guest this episode is Jeff Morrill, who started Planet Subaru just outside of Boston years ago with his brother and brought with him into his business life these ideas of win-win, superior service, and a culture of inclusion, mentorship, kindness, and sustainability that extends to employees and customers alike. At Planet Subaru, Jeff knows that those values must come with concrete steps. They must be implemented to be real and to mean anything. So Jeff's team decided to power the whole facility with solar panels. They hired salespeople from diverse backgrounds who other dealerships wouldn't hire or who had even fired. Mm -hmm. And they created an apprenticeship program to train women for higher paying service jobs. This approach, along with hard work and savvy, made Jeff's undealership, as he calls it, a success. Now in a new season of life, Jeff seeks to mentor others in leadership and promote the ethical business practices that he says made his bottom line all the stronger. Jeff wrote the book ProfitWise, How to Make More Money by Doing the Right Thing to share what he learned. The book teaches 10 principles for running a successful business that is also ethical and sustainable. We refer to a couple of those principles during the podcast, and so we'll add all 10 to the show notes so you can refer back to them. Instead of the shady, ruthless, or corrupt approaches to business that we've seen unfolding all too often, stay tuned to hear how businesses, maybe even the one you run, really can, as Jeff says, take the high road to raise your bottom line. And just so you know, dear hotties, this episode is actually part one of a two-part episode arc with Jeff. This week, we are releasing the parts of the conversation that focus on business and community and how Jeff's values of inclusion and abundance infuse his projects. Although this episode focuses on Jeff's business, we believe that everyone will find inspiration in his life story, his powerful ethics, and his genuine human warmth. Definitely. And toward the end of the original conversation, Jeff turned the tables and started asking us questions about interpersonal communication and about our relationship because he's a curious guy. And it turned into this unpodcast. And it was so special and unique that we're releasing that as its own episode next week. So stay tuned for that. And now let's get going. Here's episode 68 with Jeff Morrill. And here comes the checklist. The cats are secured. 
I totally give up. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. Uh, but the tape is rolling. Check. Caffeine at optimal levels. Um, a pint low, but let's go ahead anyway. And the microphones are hot. Check. We are here, here together. together. Welcome, everybody, to the Here Together podcast. I'm Charles Matthews. I'm Kelly Roberge. And as you know, we're here with Jeff Morrill, who wrote the book ProfitWise, How to Make Money in Business by Doing the Right Thing. It sounds like a comedy movie from the 60s, but it's... Uh, <laughs> I've I've read a fair bit of it and it is it gets down to business really quickly. Thanks, but thanks for joining us. Before we talk about the book, thanks thanks for joining us, Jeff. Thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here together with you today. Yay! Ah, well played. <laughs> he said here together. Oh, I'm I guess I'm. I, I think you're f- the first guest who was able to work that in. Well done, well done, fantastic. It's kind of like uh, saying somebody's name over and over again, right? From how to win win friends. And influence people. Just say their say their name over again, Jeff. Right, Jeff. Yeah, right, Jeff. I guess the the thought I had was I just want to um, you know preparation for a podcast is is a gift that that we give to the to the host to say how much we respect the investment that they're making in the guests. So I wanted to to honor that and start that way. That's great. That's I'm guessing that's part of uh, being ethical. You just said you, you have it's it's part of being ethical is being in relationship and being in reciprocal relationship. Sure. I like to think about the way our behavior impacts other people. You know, obviously there's all sorts of needs that we need to satisfy in our own lives. And and you know, it's gonna be very difficult for us to take care of other people if we're not well fed and if we don't have a roof over our head, those needs are gonna gonna take precedence. But once those are satisfied then we have some liberty to start thinking about how our actions affect other people. And I think that's a central concept within trying to be an ethical person is just giving some thought to the impact that, that your behavior, you know, it, it, how it affects other people, how your diet affects animals and, and the environment, how your business decisions you know, uh, provide opportunities for people or, or squeeze them in a negative way if, if your policies aren't, aren't uh, established for their benefit. So those things are all very important to me. And, and I think if you build a business around that willingness to consider the impacts of your business on other people, then you're going to have a business that you can be really proud of and you're going to sleep fairly well at night. But, but the central tenet of the book is that that's the key to profitability too. What I mean by that is that the extent that you can involve other people in your winning is the extent to which those people are going to keep on wanting to do what they're doing to help you keep winning. So if a customer has a really good experience, as they, they do most of the time, in, in our dealerships as an alternative to the typical dealership with no sales pressure and uh, a lot fewer operational uh, mistakes that occur in the typical dealership. If they have that, that positive experience interacting with your people, then they're going to want to keep coming back. They're going to they're want to see you thrive and they're going to help you do it. Same thing with your team members. If, if they see how their, their efforts redound to their benefit in terms of a meritocratic path to advancement in their own careers or increased income or increased opportunity to, to learn new skills, then, then they're going to hang in there with you because they're winning right along with you. And of course, you know, you don't have to be a, an MBA student or, or a graduate to know that the lower you can, you can reduce your turnover, uh, the loss of your 
key people and the need to replace them, that the more profitable your business is going to be. So there's a flywheel effect on all these things. And I just wanted to lay out the idea very emphatically in the book that, that there is not a, a strong dissonance between taking care of the stockholders and taking care of the stakeholders. That those two, uh, the, the effort to take care of both of them works very well together and you can do, do very well in business and in life, just in terms of the legacy that you've left behind if you, you stay focused on that. Fantastic. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's nice I to hear. I want to live in that world. Exactly. Yeah. I exactly want to live in that world. We are, uh, we released a couple weeks ago, it'll be now uh, an interview with Mike Spangenberg from uh, State 48, which is a clothing brand here in Arizona. And we ended up talking about that triple bottom line of, of community environment and, and profitability and that it's, they are all linked together. And, and he uh, indicated that it didn't really seem like a sacrifice. He was talking about being able to, uh, producing a t-shirt in, in conjunction with a charitable event where five bucks from each t-shirt went to the charity. And I said, is that, does that feel like a sacrifice? He said, it doesn't because it's, it's just part of this other, this other bottom line. Yeah. And, and I'm not familiar with his company. I'm so far over here on the East coast. I think we're like state 10 or something, Virginia, yeah, where yeah. I live now, but we, we don't have a comparable company. But I, but I really endorse the idea that um, to the extent that you make investments like that and you can communicate those investments to prospective customers, they're going to want to do business with you because of those decisions. So even things that look like expenses and, and do show up on a financial statement as expenses can, over the medium and long term, come back to, to actually generate a lot of revenue to, to compensate. And we have, a, we have multiple examples of that in, in our businesses, but one I just want to point out that's similar is that we made a, a very large investment in, in putting a solar array on the top of our building in 2011. We were the first Subaru dealership in the country to, to power the entire showroom by, by solar power. And, and I had fellow dealer friends who, who thought I had lost my mind that we would spend, you know, $350,000 on this. But, but number one, we, it was consistent with our values as people. And, and we were concerned about the carbon that the vehicles we sell emit and, and other negative environmental externalities. So we felt a pretty strong responsibility through our business activities to try to shrink that footprint. But but beyond that, I think it was good business too, because 10 years later, we still have people, uh, they drive past other dealerships to come do business with us because it's a way for us to communicate the values of our company. And there are a lot of people who, who appreciate what we're doing and, and want to be a part of that. So what appears to be expense, it, it is, they're real expenses, but if you, if you make them wisely and make sure that you're, you're effective in communicating the kinds of values that, that drove those decisions on the part of your company, then, then you can really do well in the marketplace too. Great. Yeah. I wish I could buy a Subaru from Planet Subaru Lifted. I can't imagine that the carbon of flying from Arizona to uh, Massachusetts is, is worth it though. We'd have to put up a car or we'd have to put up a solar array that would cover more than the house. Yeah. yeah, a little inside baseball too. I really appreciate the uh, the willingness to to consider it. But in terms of of pricing on cars, sometimes you know all friends local here in Virginia, you know our, our dealerships and and all of our businesses are up in Boston, and people ask, well, you know, if can I can I get a good deal if I 
if I buy a car from you and you could drive it back or, but the, um, the new car side of the business in particular, the, the margin compression is really shocking. People are, are often very surprised to find out how little we make selling a new car. You know, there's this, this kind of impression, I think in popularly that, that that's where we make the money in, in a car dealership. And it's, it really isn't the case at all. They're not quite loss leaders, but but they're a little like the Polaroid cameras you might remember uh, for, for people of a certain age that the camera was like $15 back in the day and then a pack of film was $10. Well, it's sort of the same thing on the price of the car and, and service, you know, because we, we have to pay for that, those fixed expenses somewhere. So, so our service uh, has better margins than, than the vehicles themselves. So selling the car is just the beginning of the relationship. Yeah, that's that's the whole key. And then we don't want this to happen, but if someone gets an offender bender or something in town, then the local body shop will need the parts and we're the first call, so we'll, we'll make a little on the parts. The, the trick to, to operating a modern dealership is getting it big enough to the point where you can drive enough volume through it that you can make a little bit on every transaction. We, they're really none of the transactions are particularly lucrative, but if you can get a little piece, just to earn a little bit, it's kind of like shearing sheep instead of trying to kill people, kill sheep, you know? Um, and that's kind of our, our model that we just want to, we want to make a little on each transaction. We, we don't get greedy. We just um, want to, you know, combine enough of those transactions to, to earn a living and it works. Great. Great. Apparently. Yeah, you've had you've been you've been very successful. You've you've uh, you know got hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue from these from these businesses. Uh, I'm kind of curious, like given that the margins are so small, what drove you to want to share all of these secrets in your book that has made your business so successful? Like, why not why not keep that under wraps and and maintain that competitive edge? You know, we um, my brother and I, my co-founder. John is his name. When, when we started the businesses, we had this vision of, of I think, I mean, not to get too, too deep into the psychology of it, but we grew up. Oh, no, no. Go down that rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> go down that rabbit hole, You come to the right Jeff. place. We, we grew up under, under very modest conditions in rural Virginia. This is probably the nicest way to say it. And, and speaking for myself, because I don't want to speak for my brother here, although his, his position on it probably isn't too far from mine, is that that just got really old. And, and we wanted, I think, you know, to create a little more abundance to, to compensate for the scarcity we had known as younger people. So anyway, we were pretty fired up and, and, and determined to, to accumulate wealth. I mean, it, it almost sounds dirty to say it, cause I, but that's, that's really what we set out to do. And, and as to say, we did that without considering the needs of other people. We wanted to do that and, and make sure that we, we minimize the negative impacts of that. So you did start off old school and and then turned it around, or you always had, uh, yeah, ideals. The, the, the place I'm I'm going with this is not so much that we didn't have those those ideals in place. It's just that we we cared a lot more about money. Okay, priorities, and, and we and we've gotten to the point where you, you eventually have enough, and and you don't. You know, we don't want to fly around in helicopters and pro we don't want to do private aviation and all that. I mean, it's just not, it's just totally, we're opposed to it on, on fuel consumption grounds and all, you know, all those things. So, so 
as that shifts, as you're free, because as your financial circumstances are, are um, liberated and you have more freedom to make different choices, then, then your priorities change. And so, yes, I mean, there, there was a time when I would have very closely guarded the, the things in the book. And, and a lot of our processes and documents are now free to the world on my website, jeffmoral.com. And I guess the analogy I would use for, to explain why I do this is that I, I've got enough now. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, need, I like the income because we do some really cool things with the income in terms of the donations that we do. And it, it allows us to pay our people more than, more than the market so that you know, our people get a, get a piece of the, the, the value that they're generating. There's all sorts of uh, great benefits to, to lots of cash flow. So I'm not saying I, I, <laughs> we're walking away from that part of it, other than to say that it, as the priorities have shifted now, I'm interested in, in hoping in trying to inspire other business owners to adopt the same practices. And, and particularly with respect to, to hiring, one of the, the areas we've been very successful in and we've been a pioneer here is, is inviting people who've traditionally been excluded from the car business into our business. So one example of that, we currently have five technicians who are women, nice. which is more than any a dealership of any size, any brand in the country. There's 16,000 dealerships. So we're, at the, we're truly at the top of the pile there. And it's almost impossible to do that if what you're looking for is just to hire existing female technicians, because about 1% of technicians are women in the country. Our female service manager, Krista, calls a female technician a unicorn. There are so few of them. They're known to exist, but you'd never find them. And they never apply. So we realized, well, how are we going to... to address the shortage of, of technical labor available as our business grows, because it's very hard to, to find good technicians. Hmm. Well, we, we realized that if we could develop, you know, a pretty straightforward uh, apprentice system, then we could invite women to, to learn the skills, even if they didn't previously have them. So we've created an environment that's very supportive of people who had really never had a chance in our industry before. And, and, you know, the car business has a terrible reputation, deservedly so for many of the sales practices. Uh, it, it's cleaned itself up over the last maybe 5, 10, 15 years, but, but there's still a lot to not recommend the car business. However, <laughs> there is something very special about it. And, and one of the things that, that really appeals to me and appealed to me and why I'm in it is because it's open to people without a particular set of skills coming in. So, you know, if you want to be a doctor or a lawyer, you need to have a, particularly ed a particular education pedigree and all sorts of, of skills in advance that are, that are proven and developed. And in the car business, in, in the case of if you're a real personable, hardworking, motivated person, and um, you've got good character and, and people can pick up on that, then I've just described a really good salesperson, even if that person has never sold a thing in their life. Yeah. So anyway, um, to bring, the, bring this uh, long story to a close, I think that the reason I want to share these practices is because I believe they're good for the business owners because they're, they're a more profitable way they're on their businesses. And accidentally, 
if not intentionally, they're, they're going to do a lot of good things for their community. They're going to, they're going to put higher incomes into families that aren't accustomed to those incomes. And the generational impact of that can be quite substantial. So I like the, the benefit uh, to society of these practices. And, and so we're, we're taking the, I'm sharing the secret sauce. Nice. To make everything taste better. Mm-hmm. You know, that's great that uh, the car dealerships are an, are a way for folks without an Ivy League education to have a meaningful and sustainable career and that it's open to, it's open to all kinds of different folks. That's wonderful. Yeah, I think there's, um, you know, obviously the, your audience probably doesn't have a lot of a car dealers in it, but I think the, these principles appro- apply to to many other businesses too. And you don't even have to be a dealership owner. I mean, it, in most, um, you know, even if you're a manager in a company, you don't you don't have an ownership stake. You do have some impact on the kind of recruiting ads that are run, and and the degree to which you're you're talking to these groups that are not traditionally represented in your industry you probably have some influence over the the people that you're going to interview or the people that are brought in for for interviews to be hired so there are a lot of ways that that the practices that i described can can be used in businesses that are very different than car dealerships that's awesome that it's so portable portable information Great. Well, I want to back up just a little bit um, yeah. to uh, to uh, just to just out of respect to our audience, because uh, we started asking this one question at the beginning of every interview, which is, Jeff, what did you want to be when you were ten? Do you remember what you wanted to grow up to be? I wanted to be a pilot, and you know what's interesting about that is that that I've heard that that. That decision, perhaps you you've discussed this since it's a regular part of your podcast, or or, the, the, or or considered this aspect that it can be very revealing about a person's interest that persists into adulthood. And and I'm reminded when I hear that question asked on your podcast that the the thing I thought of was John McPhee, the the wonderful uh, writer. He's a he's a, writes books, and he was f- famous for his New York New Yorker articles. And he said that. I think I'm getting this number right, that 90% of the topics he would write about as an adult were things that he was interested in before the age of 18. And I'll tell you, if there was one thing, if I didn't end up in business, the thing that I would still want to be, and I think it's the coolest, like bar none, the coolest profession is to be a, a medical evacuation helicopter pilot. Wow. Yeah. I just think that is just badass. <laughs> Totally. We'll have, to, we'll have to hook you up with Pete Pearson, I who's know, a right? friend and a, and a pod guest who was a was a, a medevac. I don't think. Well, he, he wasn't, wasn't a, a pilot. He yeah, was the, I thought he, he was said he was a pilot, but he was on he was on a, a medevac uh, helicopter in Alaska for part of his and, and career remote Minnesota, in remote Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. serving serving uh, uh, native and, and indigenous communities in the wilds. Oh wow! Yeah, I met a. Um, uh, a medevac helicopter pilot on the showroom of our Jeep dealership some years ago. And I, I confessed to him, I said, you know, if I could have been anything else in life, you are who I wanted to be. And he said, I mean, he, he had the look on his face. He, he was startled. And he said, that's funny because if I could have been anything in life, you're what I wanted to be, which <laughs> is to figure out how to get enough cash flow in middle age that you can have the freedom to pursue your dreams before you retire. Wow. It was just an interesting, it was just the kind of this weird, you know, kind of uh, 
uh, meeting of the minds or something. I don't know. It was just a really, a really neat moment. But I, I just think that's great. What I think that what appeals to me about the the medevac flying is that there's that service component that you're saving lives and and but for your skills, you know, it's not like you know if if um, you, the you know someone could die, you know, yeah. and so yeah. the stakes are very high, and and it's your professionalism that that gets gets your crew and the patient to um, Gives gives that gives them all a shot at, at living a good life, you know. Jeff, I'm curious. Um, did you what did you learn about service when you were young? My parents are uh, well. My mom's dead now, but um, I was brought up in a very strict Catholic household, and Catholicism manifests in in different ways in this country. That the particular. Uh, form of it that I was raised in was very strict and very social justice oriented. Mm. Catholics, you'll meet some that are typically not very interested in the social justice part and much more interested in the rules mm-hmm. and and those kinds of things. But I, I grew up in a family that, um, you know, my mother, remember I told you, we, we came from pretty, pretty modest means, but, but they always found a way to, to support people who needed, needed help. And I remember an incident where you might remember, you know, where we're all of the age where we remember the Vietnamese boat people. Uh, and it was, yeah. you know, post-Civil War. I'm sorry, post, well, I guess it was a Civil War. It was their Civil War, Vietnam, yeah, absolutely. Their Civil War, post-Vietnam War. So this was in the early, mid-70s. And there were, there were, there was a lot of emigration from, from Vietnam to here, and these people came came penniless. And the particular family that ended up in our town, um, and I couldn't tell you how they, why they ended up in Blacksburg, Virginia, in the southwest Virginia, um, the southwest portion of of a rural state at that time. But but somehow they did, and and I remember they didn't even have the 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 mother didn't even have her wedding ring anymore her husband mm-hmm. had been killed in the war but because they had the, the boat had been that they had arrived on had been intercepted by pirates and, and they, they took had, everything and so, huh so they literally had the clothes on their back i mean they had nothing absolutely nothing and and so my parents um as part of the church you know because the church sponsored them you know we would we would bring them dinners and and try to try to help them get integrated into society and uh, in a touching part of that story, the, the, the mother of the family, the matriarch ended up changing her name to my mother's name, which was Diane. Wow. Uh, after some time. So this, this is kind of the family, this is the family that I grew up in. So, so you can imagine the, the orientation we had towards, you know, thinking about the needs of other people. This is what I was raised with. And I think those are, those are really good values. And I, I really believe in the American dream of, uh, I mean, I, I am the, I mean, I lived it, I'm living it, you know, where you can accomplish so much because there's so much opportunity, but, but there's a responsibility that comes with the American dream too. And that's to make sure you, you, um, you turn around and you pull some people along in your weight. And, and that's, that's, those values were pounded into me, you know, as a child. So, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm very proud that I'm living, living the mountain. My dad, he's still alive. And, and I think he, um, I, I talk about some of his ideas in the book, which was a way I could honor him. And uh, my mom, I'm, I'm sure she's smiling down from heaven on on the um, the efforts we're making to try to try to uh, repay all the investments that were made made in me and and my brother. Mm. Yeah. So as a ten year old, you wanted to be able to make a very clear difference in somebody's life. You wanted to be able to scoop them up with your piloting skills and, and save their lives. 
And you know, it's, you're not necessarily saving lives as a car dealer. Literally. But you did talk about, well, I, I don't know. I mean, Maybe. I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to blow smoke up your butt, but <laughs> in the in the book you talked about um, hiring a, a salesperson. I don't remember if it was a salesperson or a service person who'd been fired from another dealership because of their sexual orientation. Yeah. And, yeah. So that was in 1998 back when it was legal to do that. Surprisingly late. Actually, when you think about it in our history, it's it happens so quickly. It's hard to hard to remember. You know, we, you could never do that today. You know, you it would be it'd be illegal. But back the culture then it the was, culture is changing yeah. really rapidly along those lines. It's it's yeah, pretty yeah, remarkable. Particular thing. Yeah. So, so it's not so, it's not saving somebody's life necessarily, but giving somebody a job uh, in those circumstances that's a that's a that's a ripple for sure in the pond. Yeah, I, there was a time maybe I had a. A midlife crisis in my early 40s. And I, I'll be candid with you. I, I said, you know, have I really, you know, lived up to my potential? And, you know, I'm not a surgeon saving lives in a, in a hospital. I'm not, you know, a medevac pilot getting people out of dangerous situations there. You know, I, I and, and I think maybe I was, I was hard on myself until I, I gave myself the permission to accept that we all we all are growing where we're planted and we can't have everybody be a surgeon. You know, I'm glad there are surgeons, you know, when you need one, but, but we need, we need people. Um, we need people in the, in the military, for instance, who are fierce warriors, but also have good judgment mm-hmm. and make sure that, that they can in, instill discipline so that war crimes do not occur in the event of a of an occupation where there you know we have troops on foreign soil and i think in the same case that we need we need honest car dealers that's what that, i was just going to say that, i mean what if all the car dealerships 100% of them were terrible people who were out to rip people off like right. that that's not okay <laughs> so we absolutely yeah. need you and all yeah, of your thank people thank you I'm reminded of Martin Luther King's uh, inspiring words about, you know, if you're a custodian in a building that you you should sweep the floors like Michelangelo painted. And I I guess that's, you know, I've gotten to the point in my life where I see, you know, where can I do the most good? And and I, I realize that, well, because of decisions I made earlier in my life, you know, here I am. And and what can I do now with the tools unique to my situation. And there are, there are some things that I, like I said, I can't save a life. You know, if, if you, you know, have a heart attack, I don't even know CPR, you're out of luck. I can dial 911. But if you're a candidate running for office in Virginia that, that supports, um, you know, in investments in education and, uh, environmental, um, you know, responsible, responsible environmental upgrades to our infrastructure, those kinds of things, then, then I'm in a position to help you out financially. And, and if you're a person who just can't seem to, to get your foot in the door to a good career, then I can help you with that too. So these things, you know, they're, uh, they're not going to be awarding the presidential, uh, What's that? The Presidential Medal, Medal of, of Freedom at yeah, any point freedom. or whatever that is. But that's okay. You know, it's like we don't, we don't, um, that's not why we do it. Mm. Mm. So grow where you're planted. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, let's take a little pause. I think this is a good a good opportunity for everybody listening to do a little thinking. Where have you been planted? Mm-hmm. How are you growing? I know it's so easy to compare ourselves to others and think we're not doing enough. And everybody could probably do more, but recognizing that we're giving the gifts that we have to give is pretty good. It's a good place to start. We'll be right back with more. Thanks for listening to the Here Together podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And we are just really glad you are diving into these kinds of conversations with us for similar conversations about the relationship between business and community and ethics and values. Check out episode 65, How to Get a Heart in Business with Mike Spangenberg, or episode 50, How to Be a Local Hero with Thomas Barr of Local First Arizona. You know that every week you can access fascinating information on our guest's background and take a deeper dive into related topics through the information in our show notes. This week, you'll find links to Planet Subaru, where you can paw ruse the canine staff bios and photos, which are totally worth going there. Also included is the excellent list of 10 key takeaways from Jeff's book, ProfitWise, and access to the free content he so generously included. You can always find the latest show notes at here-together.us slash pod for the latest episode, or go to here-together.us us slash library for show notes from our full catalog of episodes or just go to the website and poke around there's lots of fun stuff for you to find there welcome back everybody to the here together podcast part two with jeff morrill i'm charles i'm kelly (laughs) and we're speaking with jeff like i said who's the author of the book profit wise and we've been talking about uh the way to serve, the way how to grow where you're planted, the importance of of ethics and thinking about just considering others mm. and uh, also getting, you know, being able to get to the place where you have enough abundance, enough, not even necessarily abundance, enough to be able to give back. And it's been been a really fruitful conversation so far, but we have to talk about a whole nother category of things. Absolutely. Listeners of this podcast probably know about our podcasts and I am being uh, thoroughly lap encroached right now by (laughs) Munchie. But I noticed, Jeff, when I went to your website, to the Planet Subaru website, that you have some canine staff. Yes, we call them our blue collar workers. So (laughs) we we just talked to a woman who does animal therapy and uh animal communication animal communication yeah exactly and she was really interesting and she talked about the more than human world and i was curious how you felt about that idea of the more than human world and how why are the the dogs a part of your staff they're, they're obviously a part of the the community and the work culture there oh totally yeah in and I think just broadly speaking, the, the we have dogs, just to give you a little background. So we have dogs on the showroom floor. This started um, when we opened in 1998. My brother was working crazy hours and didn't want to leave his dogs at home. So we just brought them in and, you know, they got along. You know, you can't just bring in any dog, but these were dogs were well suited to that, you know, extroverted environment and, and gentle and that kind of thing. So, so that's how it got started. So it was, it was more accidental than anything. And then 
over time, you know, those, those dogs have long since died and, and we've, we've replaced them with dogs that are brought in by our team members. So my, my brother doesn't even work in the, the Subaru planet Subaru facility anymore, but we have other team members bringing in dogs and, and it is a phenomenon. And when I say that, like, if you look at our Google reviews, the most common praise is that we have dogs on the showroom floor and you think i mean we do so many cool things yeah <laughs> an incredibly diverse workforce like i say you know, almost half our salespeople are women i mean it's just it's just a really neat thing we have the solar it's a solar powered showroom we use goats to landscape and we've got all sorts Yay. of cool stuff going on but those dogs <laughs> and and i think it's just that it's it's that beyond the human world idea that you're talking about that you you've moved beyond what people expect to encounter in that environment and and it instantly puts people at ease yeah and they're they're ambassadors uh visually on our website to help us communicate that we're a different kind of place because you know we we do run a very very different kind of dealership art we actually call it your un dealership and but it's it's difficult to tell people that it's like trying to trying to tell someone you're funny you, you can't really tell someone you're funny you have to you have to tell something that's you have to tell a joke or or be funny and then they'll believe it and and i think the dogs are a way for us to communicate uh to people without ever saying anything that they're going to get an experience that's different different than what they expect and I can imagine that, you know, buying a car is one of the, the big stressful things that people go through. And no matter how great you guys are, it's still going to be scary for people. And to have the dogs around, that's got to be comforting for a lot of people and just calming, yeah. just their presence is calming and reassuring. It's like a, a, a loner therapy dog, really. Absolutely. You know? And we have really nice. So we have, uh, we have a golden retriever that if you sit down in the service lounge and you don't push him away, he'll end up on your lap. I mean, he is, and, and that's, oh, it, and it does, it. it just, it just changes the whole, when people walk in the door, you can see it. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm used to seeing people walk in the door and they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're uptight, you know, as you'd accept them to be and and when they see the dog, just before, before the dogs even go up and start sniffing on them and loving them, they, they just see the dogs and all of a sudden their, their whole, their, the way they are carrying themselves changes, the expression on their face changes. I mean, it's really, it's really neat to see. It's a powerful effect. And, and it's one of the things I recommend to, to business owners to, if they can't, if they can't bring dogs into their facility for some reason, there, there are some settings obviously where you can't do that. You wouldn't want to have dogs running around a pharmacy or something, but if you can't do that, then, then find a way to, to do it. Um, you know, put them on your website in a way that you can show that, that they're part of your team, you know, spiritually, mm -hmm. if they're not actually nice. in the building. That's great. You know, you, um, you talk about a bunch in the book profit wise about values and about trying to communicate values to the customers, to, to new employees, to potential hires. And it's something that I've started talking about in my in my facilitation and keynote speaking about how important values are to folks. And I'm just kind of curious, what, what are the values of planet Subaru? We have, you know, uh, uh, the, a mission statement and then Pluto was still a planet when we did yeah. it. So we the nine planets, but, but then we lost, we lost Pluto. So we have nine planets and each planet is, it represents a, a, a 
bullet point on yeah. Our, yeah. Uh, of, of our values. But they include things like the, the inclusive um, hiring that we have and yep. the willingness to support people who are who are not uh, privileged in society. Mm -hmm. That's kind of one one part of a piece. Or we like to think of our business as a sanctuary mm -hmm. for both customers and for team members so that the people who who might be considered odd or or fit a definition like I was, we were talking about someone who was gay back before it was it was legal to to marry and those kinds of things that 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 we have a place that that is is welcoming to those people both as customers and and team members and so that's one of another another key plank is is our focus on the environment yep and particularly you know minimizing the impact of of our operations and trying to find a way to compensate for the negative externalities of the functioning of the vehicles we sell. So those are probably good examples. I mean, yeah, I, those are good. Those I, are great I, examples. And the, yeah. to use the word sanctuary, that is, mm. that is a, I mean, that's a quasi religious word. That's what churches are supposed to be. It's more than just, you know, it's more than just a home. It's like really safe. It's like life and death too. Yeah. That's a powerful word to include in a, in a, in a, in a vision statement, in a value statement. Yeah. And I, I don't know that, um, you know, I hope we're not some kind of weird cult or something, but, but I think the, the, the more an organization stands for something, it doesn't have to, doesn't have to please everybody, but, but the more it stands for something that that's been well thought through and, and has positive impacts on the community, I think that's, that's going to, it's going to strengthen your company in ways that you don't even really you can't measure mathematically or empirically. So, I mean, we have people that could make a lot more money doing other things. I mean, we pay them really well, but we can only pay so much. Uh, we have a, uh, one of our sales managers uh, was a very accomplished attorney. Wow. And he was, he was a customer and he just said, you know, this looks like a lot more fun than reading <laughs> contracts. And, oh and so he joined us and, and we'll see, you know, he's been with us, you know, whatever it is, 10 years. And, and I, I can't imagine the circumstance why he wouldn't retire with us many years from now. And it's because the, he, he looks all around. I mean, we never ask him to do anything kinky. You know, we don't, we don't ask him to um, charge, you know, the, the recently widowed lady who doesn't know anything about car selling. We give her the exact same discount as everybody else walking in the door. And, and I think when you, you know, when you um, create an environment like that, you're able to hang on to those people because they just wouldn't, they wouldn't tolerate anything, anything but the best because they are the best. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Leading with values is really, really powerful. Keeps everybody on the same page. The customers know what's going on. The employees know what's going on. It depersonalizing, depersonalizes interactions between supervisors and, and employees. You know, if, if you're living the values, then you don't have to worry about whether or not you're your supervisor's having a bad day. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And the same for the customers. That's great. Well, uh, I, I was going to ask about how you learned how to not get burned out, but it almost sounds like you've created such a great culture that you would have to work extra hard to get burned out. Yeah. Well, that's, I like your question. There's a reason why I am a uh, coach on the sidelines now rather than the quarterback is that I, I just couldn't 
couldn't keep getting sacked on the field. I really did burn out, and I'll tell you tell you how it happened. Um, it, it's uh, Hemingway said that you go bankrupt two ways, um, gradually and then suddenly. And what happened to me was, unbeknownst, I wasn't tracking this, but I was just I was getting tired of solving the same problems. And I wasn't getting the energy back that I was investing. And that's basically a textbook definition of burnout. But I, I was the first time I had been going through it. So I, I didn't know what it yeah. was and I didn't have a definition of it. And, and one day I, I pulled into the parking lot and I took the key out of the ignition and I couldn't walk in the building. Mm-hmm. I was just done. And, and what it is that I was just done with is that building a business just takes a lot out of you. I, you know, when you have irrational customers and there aren't many, but you run into them and they accuse you of the most horrible things and they say awful stuff to you. And, and you, there's just, it's like, if they buy a car from you, in some ways you're married to them, mm. you know, because it's like, you know, in, in a restaurant, if someone has a bad meal, you can just comp the meal and and just you know ask them to to not not that they would come back but you just ask them like hey hey we're even right the mm-hmm. meal is free but you know with a forty thousand dollar car you can't just say oh yeah well the car your car is free tonight Mm-mm. so you end up with these you kind of in the being entangled with some people that 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 can really wear you out. So that, that's just one of many examples and and you know part of team building. I mean I think we have an incredible. Uh, team and it's it's my single proudest accomplishment in life is gathering that team, mm. but getting there, oh my gosh! I mean, it was a lot of work and a lot of heartache. I mean, we've had a couple incidents which I, I for my own psychological health, I won't recount in any detail. But <laughs> people did some don't some, re-trigger you know, yourself. Yeah, people who were really you know integral part of our team that we really trusted did some horrible things mm. and. And those are still, you know, those, those things kind of linger with you, you know, over time. So without going into any more detail than that, let's just say it, it, it takes a lot out of you to, to build a business. And, and I think what I realized is there are seasons in life and in that spring season of planting, you know, came to an abrupt end. And, and I was like, okay, I've got to switch gears here. Fortunately, one of, um, I had done something that I encourage every business owner to do. I had for a long time, for many reasons, been grooming my successor. So a salesperson named Dale that joined us in 02, we had promoted him along the way and included him in meetings. And he just had that sparkle in his eye. And, that and special, the right dogs. Yeah. And, and he's, his, the dogs are, at least two of them are his. He, he has, he's just a wonderful person and has has you know lives the values that that the company represents so anyway when this when this all happened he was ready to he, he was eager actually mm-hmm. he was nice I mean, he, he didn't he wasn't happy to see me going through the, the tough times emotionally but he was very happy to accept the responsibility and, and run with it so so it's um it's worked out fine but I, I i will never be able to to go back um to to running to running the day-to-day operations of any business. I'm just, just fried. Yeah, Yeah. that's totally fair. But one of the things you said about solving the same problems over and over again, when part of your book is a a list of 10 things that people will learn from the, from the book. Uh, Number eight, I believe talked about solving those problems that 
you have to keep solving over and over again. And that was one of my favorites. Um, They're all really good, but that was one that I was really drawn to because I like to think about systems and like, how can we get upstream from this and how can we make this work better so that people aren't having to struggle with, you know, the same dumb stuff over and over again. How can we automate? How can we, you know, organize, make checklists. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So do you have any, any advice on, on that systems thinking that you can share with us? Paulo Coelho said that a a mistake that occurs more than once is a decision. And, and I think that. Hang on, hang on, hang on. (laughs) (laughs) I let that sink in. (laughs) A mistake made more than once is a decision. So in other words, if (sighs) if you keep having the same problem, you know, I'm trying to think of, of an example in our case in a car dealership. If we keep bringing the brand new car out for delivery to the customer and the windshields are always dirty, you know, resulting in a dissatisfaction. If that just happens over and over and over again, then, then um, th- that's not a mistake. That's not an accident. That's some kind of low-level intentionality that we're not going to invest the resources. We're not capable of investing the resources and making sure those windshields come out, you know, absolutely spotless. And and I think that we like to think about th- we like to think in those terms that how do we engineer out you know, those, those flaws and how do we build in, you know, um, robustness so that if, if one person makes a mistake, you know, if, if the person cleaning the windshield doesn't do a good job, do we have a backup? You know, do we have the salesperson checking on the vehicle an hour before delivery to say, oh, wow, that's not as clean as we'd like. I'm going to go out and, and finish it off myself or I'm going to bring it back around and have the team, you know, the reconditioning team take another shot at it. So, you know, that's that that notion of operational excellence, I think, is central to a business. And and we've all had that experience. You know, you go to a fancy restaurant and, you know, you, you order something that they never bring. Right. You, know, you order an appetizer and they, it's it's time for dessert. And they're like, oh, I, you know, I forgot the the fried mushrooms. Do you want those with your yeah. cheesecake? <laughs> so, Not well, so much. No, I just, no, I, I was, you know, and, um, and it, and it all it takes is a single, you know, a single stumble like that to really take what would have otherwise been a really special experience down to kind of like, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think I'm thinking about that even in interpersonal relationships. Like if I fight with Kelly every time we go to my mom's house, mm. then that's, then that's a decision. Like if yeah. we don't, if we don't address that, if, if I, if I. If I fight over the same thing over and over again with my spouse, if I get into the same argument with my with my boss at work or just even trying to get out the door, you know, it's like, do you, you know, every time do you have to come back for your wallet or your whatever, you know, it's or how many times do I drive to work and go, oh, I don't have my badge. You know, it's like every so many things can be improved by some kind of a system or a checklist or a something. What we found is that that we need to, for those things to occur in organizations, and I think a marriage is is you know the same kind of thing here, is that you need at least one person, and in the case of a marriage, probably both, but who is constantly inputting energy. And I think that was one of the reasons I burnt out is because I was that person who's like, you know, hey, that windshield isn't clean, but you know what? Not only did I have to worry about all the windshields. 
I'd worry about all the glass in the facility to make sure it was clean. So it didn't, we didn't look like the place hadn't been clean in years. And we had to make sure that the, the tiles were swept of snow in the winter time so that someone wouldn't walk in the door and, and fall down and, and injure themselves. And we had to make sure their hiring process that we were following it. You know, we have a, we have a system, but systems tend to break down in the absence of, of one person or more continuing to, to maintain them, to, to guard those systems. And I think in the case of a marriage, it, it's so important. Like when people say it's a lot of hard work, I, I actually have found in my marriage that I guess, I don't know, it, it isn't the hard work that, that's been the challenge for me because I'm very happy to invest invest the effort in, in important relationships. It's the not knowing it's, it's, there are times where I don't know, I don't know what to say. It's not that I'm afraid to say it. It's just that it, it's like, I, I don't, uh, it's like a Rubik's cube. I don't know, you, you know, yeah. and, and if you put a Rubik's cube in front of me there and, and put a gun in my head and said, solve it or you die, then you have to pull the trigger. Cause I just, I just don't know how to do it. It's not for lack of effort or concern or urgency or energy or any of that. So there's some, um, Fortunately, in the case of the business, you know, these things are soluble. You know, if we get, if we get dirty windshields, we know how to fix that. You know, we, we, uh, we have some conversations with the people who are responsible for, for doing it. We make sure they have the right tools, the right equipment. You know, if they need, um, you need more vinegar, yeah. we can get them more vinegar. Yeah. Uh, I think a marriage is um, infinitely more complex. Yeah, maybe. I think we could have a whole week. You and I, yeah. yeah. When, are you, when are you coming to Arizona? Yeah, because um, we talk about, we talk about on this podcast and before when I was working for Boys to Men mentioned it, where we talk about kind of an emotional technology that mm. actually has some, that actually has some steps. And, but I, you know, I had that kind of that big visceral reaction when you said, when we, when we make a mistake twice, you know, we're actually making a decision. Cause it's like, I think that's, that's part of the emotional technology is to go, wait a minute. Cause the old, one of the, one of the bad ideas about emotions and interpersonal relations is like, my emotions are precious and mm. I get to feel however I feel. And if you were there when I started feeling bad, then you caused that feeling <laughs> <laughs> and you're the bad person and you're the one who's responsible for all of this. Right. And it's, it's, you know, there's almost sort of leadership principles involved in taking care of myself emotionally. Like, okay, I'm hundred percent. I'm the guy who's got to clean the glass, my own glass. Right. I gotta, mm. I gotta make sure that I got your mental I, glass. I gotta make sure, I mean, you know, yeah, I gotta make sure I have, you know, the equivalent of the vinegar and, and the right tools. And that means getting enough sleep and going for a walk outside and taking care of myself, just making sure that my glass is clear so that when something happens, I go, Hmm. Instead of, um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I think, no, yeah, I think there's I a agree. checklist as well. I think there's a checklist. Of what's going on for me? Why do I get into a fight with Kelly? Why do I get frustrated with Kelly every time I go over to my mom's? Well, it's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> and I got all kinds of baggage there, no matter how much. So what can I do to keep the glass clean so I can see my baggage, see when it shows up? Okay, what can I do, you know, the morning, the evening before even going to see my mom? You know, what can I put on the checklist to get enough sleep to, you know, not drink three glasses of wine? You know, whatever it is. I think, I think it's, I think, I think there's some parallels there. Yeah. And, and I think that that's love. I mean, it really is like, uh, my, my father says that love is not a feeling coincidentally he says it's a decision. Uh. And, and one of the ways I think you, you deliver on, on the loving commitment and promise you make to others is to, to 
invest in your own understanding of how you operate and how your behavior, you know, spills out on other people. And that's a really big gift. And, and I think, you know, it's really important for a successful relationship that people are, are a willing and be capable of doing that. But those skills, I, I mean, I'm 49, I've got, you know, I've got some, some experience under my belt, you know, interacting with the world. And, you know, I, I don't think that's a, that's a common, common quality that I see in people. So if you can find that quality in someone that, that that's an opportunity to really build something special. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because Charles took that idea and and kind of telescoped in with it. And I when you were talking about the the windshields and making sure they were clean and making sure people weren't slipping and falling and all of those details that that you have to take care of in order to be successful. I kind of went out with it of you know, how do you as a leader take ultimate risk? I mean, ultimately, you're, the buck stops with you if you're the boss. But how do you also have all of your people looking out for that stuff so that you're not, you know, going insane trying to, you know, pick up gum wrappers off the floor or, you know, whatever? It's like, yeah, I think you've just defined leadership, which is organizing people to accomplish a common purpose. And, and there are lots of parts to that. I guess I see leadership like a brick wall and there are all sorts of different parts of that. I mean, one of the things is making sure you have people who are capable and we've really stretched this metaphor here, but who are capable of cleaning the glass in the first place. I mean, did, did you hire well enough that you found people that, that either had the skills coming in or could develop the skills who care about doing a good job, who get along with their, their, uh, colleagues so that they're not creating, you know, a toxic environment for them, you know, uh, and, and pushing your other good people away. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of bricks in that wall to, to get, you know, to get something really strong. And I think that's why it's just really difficult for human institutions to function consistently well day in and day out. And, and the way it happens is when you get all those things right and you continue to put a lot of energy in. And, and hopefully, you know, like I said earlier, when you can't put it in anymore, hopefully you put the pieces in place so there's someone to, to drag your body off the field and, and continue carrying the flag. And I did do that. So, yeah. so it worked out well. Right. Well, that's leadership as well. I mean, if yeah. we're not, if we're not mentoring other folks, pushing mm -hmm. them to the fore, drawing them to the fore, then we're not, then we're not leaders. We're egotists. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's take another, let's take another little break. Um, I think we've stretched, as you say, we've stretched that metaphor uh, to the breaking point. So <laughs> we should probably take a break and, and come, come up, up with, with a new metaphor. Come up with a new metaphor. <laughs> we'll be right back with more. Thanks for listening to the Here Together podcast. So it's time for the... Science. Report. 
That's right. It's the Science Report. Last week's episode, episode 67, Seven. the science that Deborah Lee, because I, and I say I'm starting to use episode numbers instead of last week and this week because people don't necessarily right, listen gonna, to them in any particular yeah, order. They can yeah, do what they want. Which is fine. We're okay with that. Yeah, do what you want. So episode 67 had Deb Matlock, an eco-spiritualist and animal communicator, and generally, I'd called her just like a wild connection guide. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who listen to the episode, you know that we we talked about how the human and the wild interact, how the human in the wild interact in the outdoors, how they interact indoors with domestic animals. And inside our own selves. And inside our own selves, exactly. So Deb's science, her challenge, was to every day for a week, open your door and just simply ask who is here. Yeah, stand on your front step and, and be with that microcosm, macrocosm, whatever it is. Absolutely. So we hope a bunch of you did that or, or are going to do that soon. It made a big difference for me. It was a perfect timing. Spring is happening. There's lots of changes, different birds flying through. And I'm really glad that I was given the challenge to be aware of that instead of just using the outdoors as um, a distraction. A distraction, sort of this yeah. transactional thing. It's like, oh, I'll go outdoors for 15 minutes so I can feel better about sitting at my desk for the rest of the day. <laughs> but actually just, yeah, yeah well, make, we make some new neighbors. Going outside to commune with the daffodils as they are appearing they one are. by one. They are. So I give myself I give myself a, a B minus because I didn't do it every day. And I also didn't do it kind of right when I walked out the door. I would mm. usually remember when I was... Once you're way, already out part there. way down the path already. Yeah. Uh, but for more about, you know, our, our both of our experience with that science, check out uh, the live videos that we do every Saturday. And we'll make sure to archive those on our Facebook page on the Community Lab, the Here Together Community Facebook Lab. Here Together Community Lab on, on Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> okay, now back to the show and Jeff's science challenge. It's a good one. It's a humdinger. Jeff. So did we cover, did we ever do the, you, the what you call the, oh, the science? Oh, yeah. the science, yeah. Yeah, it is time for the science. Yeah, I've been thinking all, you know, for the last 48 hours about that. Oh, goody, so, I can't yeah. wait to hear. So, yeah. Yeah, so just to, just, to, just to prep it, what we do is we ask all of our guests to leave Kelly and I, us, the hosts, and you, the audience, with an experiment, a science to do for a week to see if it changes anything for you. So we're kind of curious if you got anything for us, Jeff. I describe an intention-setting process in the book that, that I've used since 1994. And the general concept was introduced to me by, uh, by my first professional mentor, was the owner of the first car dealership where I worked in the service department in, uh, in Northern Virginia many, many years ago. And the idea is that you identify the gap between where you are right now and where you want to be in some particular area. So that might be that um, it might be uh, health related. It might be professional. And, and I, I feel comfortable uh, talking about a professional example. So let me pick one. Let's say you want to be a writer. And the trick is to identify simple steps that you can take every day to move closer to that. So if you're not already a well-known writer, to use that example a little bit more, you're, you're unlikely to be the next J.K. Rowling this year. 
although I wouldn't discourage someone from thinking that they could accomplish that over a decade or two decades. But, but if you want to be a writer and you wake up tomorrow and you do nothing to get you a little closer to being a writer, you're never going to be a writer. So my suggestion is to, to identify that thing and then, and then you don't even have to figure it out in advance. Every day, ask yourself the question, what is one thing I could do today? to move me a little closer to being a writer and a little closer, not a lot closer, because sometimes if you, if you're too ambitious in terms of the amount of progress you're trying to accomplish in a short amount of time, then you just flame out and you lose enthusiasm. So I think the manageability is, is a really important factor to consider as you're picking the step. So tomorrow, the example might be, I'm going to Google what is involved in being a published author. Or it might be to sit down with a journal and write the first paragraph of a novel. Or to do what Joyce Carol Oates, the novelist, does, which is to write the last line of the novel. Ooh. And then work <laughs> back from there. And that's, that's your first day. And you, maybe it took you three minutes or ten, or maybe it took you an hour because you got lost on YouTube videos uh, listening to to authors talk about their experiences or whatever it is. But, and then the following day you can do, you can do something, something similar that will move you one step closer, maybe write another page of that book. And, and that's exactly the process I'm describing is how, how I wrote my book. And I never imagined in my life that I'd be a published author of all the ambitions that I had and, and things that I thought would happen to me that that was not one of them, but it happened exactly the way I described it. I sat down and I wrote the first paragraph was the first step that I did. And then the, the, there was a lot of work that followed in the days, weeks, months, and years following to, to get the book published and, and now to have the opportunity to share the ideas with, with your listeners and with others. So, so that's, my, that's my suggestion. That's perfect. That's, that's a great. Good, that really goes with kind of our headspace these days too. Just like what is one little thing that we can do that is in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who've been following along with the bucket list, mm -hmm. um, you know, grabbing, we, we have uh, a couple of fairly significant bucket list projects going for at least a week, if not two week long hike along the Southwest coast trail in England. I've never traveled to England. Kelly has, but yeah, I can take a step tomorrow. I mean, it, it's probably won't be for 18 months that we do that. Yeah. But we're I thinking can, ahead. I can take a step tomorrow, um, in that direction. Yep. Yeah. Part of it's getting, getting fit enough to do it without it being miserable. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. Learning how to speak English. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, Jeff, thank you so much. This has been, uh, a lovely, lovely interview. I was really tired and didn't have a lot of energy to begin with. And now I'm kind of, we always find energy when we start talking to fun people. Yep kind of bubbling with energy. And uh, we want to encourage everybody to, even if you're not a, a business person, to check out Jeff's book, ProfitWise, because it gives me, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a business person, but I don't have any employees. I'm not trying to sell cars. It's, it's pretty different than what Jeff did, but it also gave me just a, a ton of hope about how businesses and business people can actually run institutions that give back and create sustainability and create community and uh, create growth and opportunity for, for everybody and not just be, you know, 
drains on our resources. So thanks for that. I think it's, I think it's, and it's also very practical. It's very down to earth and actionable. And I encourage everybody to, to give it a read. Thank you. And, and for those people, and I used to be one of these that, that just couldn't afford to buy all the books that I wanted to read. If uh, your listeners want to start at, at my website, jeffmoral.com, M-O-R-R-I-L-L, there are bonus chapters that the publisher couldn't fit in the book. And there are a lot of other resources there that, that discuss the ideas or introduce some of the themes. There's tools for business owners to some of the documents we actually use in our businesses every day to help us with hiring. There's a lot of secret sauce from, from the success we've enjoyed in our companies that I've, that I've uh, bottled up at, at the website. So I encourage people to visit. Oh, that's great. And great. even just the list, you know, print out the list of the 10 things and put it on the, you know, put it on your mirror or your desk or something and read that every day just to kind of start thinking about the ways that, that you can incorporate those ideas. Yeah. And you can even apply them to your relationship, like Absolutely. Apply, apply a digital marketing strategy to your relationship. <laughs> yes. Smarty pants. Well, speaking of which, let's, let's, uh, let you get, uh, back to your, your wife. She's probably wondering what the heck is going on in here. Okay. Thanks, Charles and Kelly. I really enjoyed it. Thank I you, did Jeff. too. Take care. Bye-bye. love those how they succeeded stories i'm i'm kind of addicted to them i've been reading them for years and i was really excited to talk with jeff to kind of get our own up close and personal with with his story and find out what made those important differences on his journey but you know i kind of came away from the conversation just want to work for him yeah you know because he creates such great human ecosystems at his businesses with his, you know, with his ethics and principles and I whatnot. I love that phrase, a human ecosystem. Yeah. Human slash canine ecosystem right. in the case exactly. of Planet Subaru. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's just the kind of, of hangout and purposeful work that I really dig. You're also a big, you're a sucker for a band of misfits. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. So the idea of, of so the idea of a bunch of uh, female uh, folks mechanics turning wrenches, and, mechanics. Yeah, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm totally in love with that idea. Great. You know, and it's like I'm always on about community design and my favorite TV shows and podcasts and all of that stuff are mostly people hanging out. <laughs> you know, I just want to <laughs> hang out with people who uh, make me think and make me laugh and, you know, that feeling of connection and common purpose and common purpose. Exactly. Like, I don't know, being an introvert's kind of stressful to be around people. But when we have a shared purpose, it, a lot of that anxiety goes away because we're all facing the same direction Yeah. instead of, you know, trying to figure out where we fit in and everything. I love that people work in his companies for years uh, because there's respect and belonging and diversity and that purpose that we were talking about. Um, that's just the best for me. And the other part of it for me also is this thought that I've had for a long time about rich folk who barricade themselves behind gated communities and car services and, and, you know, their feet never touch the streets of the real world. 
I feel like they're losing big when they take themselves out of the, those communities, the community with their workers, their customers, the, you know, the sidewalks of the streets they, you know, in the cities they live in. And Jeff is the kind of person who can be in conversation with anyone, anytime, which means that he will always have a sense of belonging and connection wherever he goes. He's curious about people. He cares about people. And he just gets in there and starts asking good questions and immediately creates this bond. As you all hear in episode 69. Oh my gosh. Yeah. He got me good. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, that's a quality I respect and I aspire to. And it's, it made him really great to talk to. Yes, for sure. Yeah. You know, my empathy goes out to him too. Cause you know, part of that, um, part of that effort of, of being engaged all the time and being there for everybody and caring so much about that business and working so hard to make it match his ideals that he had from a little kid. Absolutely. Those ideals of, of service and equity and, and responsibility and, and helping himself and his brother and, and as many people as he could out of you know, in, into some financial abundance. He just took mm-hmm. that all so seriously. And, and his story about being burned out. Yeah, he hit the wall hard. Yeah. And uh, I really, I can identify with that having, having burned out a couple of different times in mm-hmm. the, in the nonprofit world and in the, in the, in the human service industry, essentially. And I'm glad that he's not only finding a way to be of service and use by writing this book and by going on these podcasts without having to be in the scrum as he puts it he can right. be on the sideline i think that's yeah he's more of a coach than a player now he's not the star player anymore yeah and you know the fact that he had mentored somebody up into that position who could take over out on the field is so smart and so many people so many business owners so many leaders don't do that and they just burn out and have a heart attack and then there's nobody right and then they're then all that they built is in big trouble yeah yeah so i'm looking forward you know uh as of this recording, I am just days away from doing a keynote address for a bunch of community college students who are in an honor society. And just to be true to my own values and kind of inspired by all of these people that we talk to who are living their values, I reached out to find a community college student who can be on stage with me virtually, you know, it's all on a Zoom call. But so we're going to we're going to do some we're going to do some mentoring and learning and, and, and present together. So, you know, I'm not burning out, but I'm also I'm also going to start this process of like making sure there are other people to to replace me when I either step off the field or, you know, flame out or <laughs> whatever. It be. I decide to move to Tahiti. Mm. Yeah. Imagining my toes in warm sand right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's chilly out today. All right, that's yeah. No, Charles, you got you got a way way more. It's gonna be a while. Way more keynotes to do before yeah. that happens. All right. <laughs> so speaking of what's coming up over the next couple of weeks, obviously next week, episode sixty nine might not be next week for you. Like we said, we don't right. care what order you do these in. But episode sixty nine is part two of this conversation with Jeff, in which you get to find out about the fundamental flaw. In Kelly's and my relationship. He asked us what our <laughs> fundamental <laughs> flaw was. He got and in there. Kelly had an answer, oh which was gosh. horrifying. Yeah. Uh, it turned out okay. Yeah. Well, don't spoil it. Keep them on keep them on the edge of their seats. This may be the <laughs> second to the last episode of the <laughs> Here Together podcast. Uh, no, no, I don't want to leave people like that. No. All right. What else is going on? 
Well, we want to know what you think. I know we keep saying that, but you can leave us a comment or review on Podchaser, iTunes, or on our website. You know, we've had a nice handful of ratings and, and comments on iTunes. Thank you. Yay! Thank you. Keep it up, you iPhoneers. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is about iPhoneers that maybe it's just really easy to leave ratings and reviews. So we could definitely use some more love from the Androids yeah. walking among and us. Yeah, we're Androids, so come on, man. Team yep. Android, show up for us. Go to podchaser.com slash here together to leave us a five-star rating and a comment, a suggestion, some fan mail. We are also really happy to hear from you on the socials always. And if you have questions or issues you want us to tackle in future episodes, you can also email us at contact at rocketfeather.com or leave us a voicemail by clicking the message button at anchor.fm slash here together. You could wind up on the pod, just saying. Absolutely. Check in with us on Saturday mornings. Like we said, we are live streaming again. We took a little break from that. Instead of uh, general ramblings, we are focusing now on our science report. Join us to hear how our experiences are going with the sciences assigned by our esteemed guests and share how they are going for you because we want to know. Our underlying belief, our underlying value about this is that these little experiments are a way for all of us to stay engaged in this ongoing process of personal improvement, which is going to improve our relationships, which is going to make us stronger and better able to engage with community and be of service. So, And be involved in solutions because we're going to be needing solutions. Things are going to be getting hairier here yeah. in the world with the yeah. climate and the things. And uh, <laughs> we need to hold hands and go together. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You can also stay engaged by following us on Instagram at rocketfeather1. As always, for pictures of the podcasts, that's a lot of mm-hmm. peas. Uh, you'll also find inspiring quotes, beautiful photography, quotes about relationship and community, and the occasional behind-the-scenes photos. But for now, this is Charles Matthews. And Kelly Roberge wishing you stellar success built on a foundation of respect, kindness, purpose, and connection. We love you. The Here Together podcast is a project of Rocket Feather Creative. <laughs>